I don't think I'd be an artist if I didn't have IBS. If I had a perfectly formed normal poop once every other day and I could set a clock by it, I don't think I'd be an artist. I'd be a physical trainer. Welcome to Psychocinematic, a podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in popular film and TV. I'm your host, Stephanie Fanasia. Please note that this episode contains discussions of suicide and significant childhood trauma. If this episode brings up anything for you, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13114 and Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. But feel free to skip this one if you prefer. I would like to start by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional custodians of the land on which I record this podcast today. I would also like to pay respect to the Wurundjeri elders, past and present, and extend this respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people from other communities who are listening today. I would like to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and that we are living on stolen land. And today I would like to introduce my wonderful esteemed guest, Carrie Ann or Annie Ware. Welcome to the podcast, Annie. Hi, so excited to um, finally be on your show and yeah, just particularly excited to cover one of my favorite shows of all time. Yeah. I'm so glad you're here with me today. And you're also on <laughs> Wurundjeri land, aren't you? I am coming at you from stolen Wurundjeri land. And so Annie, you've been my bosom buddy since I think we were in year six when we first met, but it was really in high school that we became pretty close. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, it goes back a long ways. And um, yeah, one of the things that we've always shared, I think has been um, our love of film and TV and music and culture. And Definitely. yeah, it's been awesome to share things with you. And um, yeah, I'm excited to share this one with you. Yes, I'm so excited. Uh, do you want to t- tell listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? I'm a dog groomer. Um <laughs> One of the best. But in my spare time, um, I absolutely love um, cartoons and comics. I'm really passionate about the way they can be used as like a Trojan horse of sorts for like really heavy shit, like really thoughtful and impactful um, stories and mm. um, and insights. I think Bojack's like particularly insightful. Um, and animation can just like grant so much creativity. I don't know, there's something about the form and like Bojack just like really nails it, like taking that freedom and creating this world and story that could not have been told mm. um, with in traditional format with like live actors I feel yeah definitely I think it's one thing I really admire about you and I sort of mooch off in terms of friendship sharing is uh, you really got me into graphic novels and and comics and the way that there's so much emotion that, that I didn't really realize was there in graphic novels yeah incredible and anyone that I can share it with yeah I, I'm so I'm always so keen and you're a bit of an artist yourself as well oh shucks um <laughs> <laughs> you are you're amazing yeah we're talk we're talking yeah free time I love love Lisa Hannawalt's work mm. and it's funny because I used to draw a little bit like her when I was a kid in, in terms of like um thematically like anthropomorphic kind of characters Um, So I really vibed with that, getting into Bojack. Yeah, I love her cartoons as well. She's got a few graphic novels out and yeah, they're just, they're heaps of fun. She's so funny. Yeah, she makes some incredible observations. Um, She's really clever and yeah, I can't recommend her stuff enough. Watching Bojack Horseman, the illustrations do remind me of of your amazing work for the listener's knowledge. Annie's very good at drawing her dogs beautifully. Oh, thank you. (laughs) 
obviously very clear what we're doing today if you haven't picked up on it or you don't know what we're talking about. We are covering Bojack Horseman, which is the Netflix series uh, created by Ralph, I always forget how to say his name. Raphael Bob Waxford or RBW. RB Dubs. And the artist behind BoJack is Lisa Hannawalt, as we were talking before. And it's very popular and excellent show. I've been picking some really shows that I love lately. And Annie, what was your experience with BoJack Horseman? And I asked you to be on it, but why would you have wanted to talk about it? Um, well, I developed um, major depressive disorder pretty early um, in my teens. And although depression is kind of everywhere in film and TV, really, but I think watching this cartoon was the first time I really felt like creators like got depression mm. um, and they were able to explore it in this really kind of nuanced way um, from the perspective of like multiple characters mm. because there's multiple characters in the show that are on their own sort of like mental health journey. Mm. I've been um, diagnosed with PMDD as well. I just want to bring awareness to it. Mm. <laughs> um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, um, which has comorbidity issues with um, mental illness and um, depression. So the two do overlap a little bit. Mm. And PMDD is very under under research because it affects women, as is often the case. Yeah. But also there's not much about it out there. Yeah, and the impact on mental health, although I think perceived to be great, is pretty poorly understood at this stage. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I have a really strong, that's the right word, um, family history with mental illness and depression that reaches back generations. And to see this story told with like such a strong emphasis on intergenerational trauma. Um my really helped thing. me to understand yeah, it really helped me to understand myself better. Um mm. and I know a lot of people feel that way about it as well. Just touch so many people. I think it's just one of the best shows ever made. I completely agree. And when I first watched it, I didn't super get into it at first. It does like change. Uh, I was the same. Yeah. I, I had started watching it and dropped it. And I just thought, you know, it's just another Adult Swim sort of cartoon. Yeah. It doesn't really have too much to say. It just seemed, I don't know, pretty throwaway. Yeah. But then, like, if you do stick with it, it, it makes this really hard turn later in the season when we're sort of introduced to Bojack's past mm. and sort of, like, his regrets um, where you realise, okay, this is a very different kind of show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really a show, like no other at the time yeah, was like no oh other. wow okay they're gonna go there yeah I think it's probably my favorite animated show and that's only with a caveat that I was banned from watching the Simpsons as you well know <laughs> it's so cruel it's so cruel <laughs> childhood trauma right there uh, which yeah. means I always missed your jokes with other Simpson loving friends but my you still stayed friends with me yeah but we were banned from watching South Park <laughs> but you still managed to sneak that one in didn't you I, I did yeah couldn't get away Thanks, with that Dad. <laughs> Simpsons was kind of similar and there's lots of relatability in it like there's some really beautiful episodes where they do things really nicely that yeah particularly in the earlier seasons yeah. there's some really heavy ones um, and I know you've covered a couple on the show before yeah like some really heavy hitting themes and um, unfortunately they do lose that yeah as it goes along seasons one to ten forever (laughs) but yeah so it's almost like Bojack's kind of taking that and put it on the next level yeah absolutely and I love how um Bojack itself kind of uses the um fictional show that Bojack was in horsing around which was a kind of like a really typical 90s sitcom 
uses it kind of like as this framing device for the whole show yeah and then subverts it with Bojack's life itself so we have like art and life and life and art and it's really clever the way that they've done that it's quite Um, meta yeah like one of the things that really stands out in Bojack is it's got that very like really serious sort of dramatic format like serial format where if something gets damaged it's damaged in the next episode Mm, yeah it's not resetting in the way that like a traditional sitcom would reset things don't go back to normal things don't work out all right at the end of the episode that's a really good point um, and they even go down to really small details like that I think there's like a ottoman that Sarah Lynn burns got a thing for burning ottomans and (laughs) in the next episode it's still burned yeah Um, yeah I think they there's even a few details where they carry it into the um, title sequence yeah, as well. Yeah, I've, I've noticed yeah. that as well. Like if, if a character dies, then they're not in the t- title sequence anymore. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's very yeah, it's serious stuff. <laughs> very intricate and detailed. Yeah, the detail is wild and you could have a whole show. Just, yeah. yeah. On that note, I'll mention one thing that I read on Reddit. Um, Beatrice Horseman always has lipstick on her teeth when she's older. And there's an explanation for it. It's such a small, minute detail that you wouldn't even notice. I didn't yeah. really notice it. And someone said it's because she's not close enough to anyone who in her life who would tell her that she's got lipstick on her teeth because horses Ooh. can't see their teeth in mirrors. <laughs> and I just went, fuck, they really go yeah. to the next level with that writing. Yeah, they really do. Oh, that, yeah, I'd, I'd never pick that one. That's a good one. <laughs> You can go down a Reddit rabbit hole for... Oh, I'm sure, yeah, Reddit is all over Bojack Horseman. For sure. Uh, I might take us through the plot, which I will not take you through in entirety because we don't have all night. But I'll just sort of take... A lot happens. There's so (laughs) much that happens. But to each individual character, like all the characters are so well fleshed out. They've all got their own really detailed arc. But I'll just take you through like the premise of the show... And the characters, the main characters in the show. This is taken mostly off Wikipedia. So the show revolves around an anthropomorphic horse named Bojack Horseman, played by Will Arnett, the washed up star of a 1990s sitcom, Horse and Around, which centred around a young bachelor horse trying to raise three human children who had been orphaned. Now living in relative obscurity in his Hollywood Hills mansion, Bojack plans a monumental comeback to celebrity relevance with a tell-all autobiography to be written by ghostwriter Diane Nguyen. He also has to contend with the demands of his former girlfriend and agent, Princess Carolyn, played by Amy Sedaris, and the misguided antics of his freeloading roommate, Todd Chavez, who's played by Aaron Paul, and former rival, Mr. Peanut Butter, played by Paul F. Tompkins, as well as his struggles with depression and addiction. So the series is set in an alternate world where humans and anthropomorphic animals live side by side, taking place mostly in Hollywood. The name is changed after the D is stolen from the sign. So Bojack began as a young, bright-eyed actor and has since grown bitter, deeply depressed and jaded towards Hollywood and who he has become post-fame. He's been shown to be caring and insightful, but his insecurities, loneliness and desperate need for approval, as well as guilt over his own actions, often result in self-destructive and selfish actions that devastate those around him. His past and present relationships with his abusive, alcoholic parents and his attempts at overcoming their legacy are a continual theme of the series. Bojack also discovers he has a more sensible half-sister, Hollyhock, a result of an affair by his father. So already, like, the main character is so 
complex and that's what I love about the show yeah and the relationships between the characters yeah there's a lot there so much there and a lot of history that builds up over the course of the seasons yes um, yes that, yeah it's really so rich and like ends up giving them so much context They're, you're very much in their world and nothing is like forgotten about everything is there for a reason no, the writing is incredible can we just say <laughs> it's just it's, it's incredible writing <laughs> And I feel like Princess Carolyn has got to be one of the most, like one of the best written female characters of all time. Like, Yes, I love her so much. I really loved the detail that went into Princess Carolyn. I love that she's a very feminist character. Like she's a, you know, woman in charge, girl boss, but she's very complex as well. It's It sort of plays with what the implications are of trying to have it all as a woman. Yeah. And how hard that actually is. Yeah, and just how she comes up against sort of sexism and misogyny and nepotism in her work. Yeah, like she's really fighting this uphill battle, but she's so tenacious and Mm. such a strong character. Actually, there's something about the show that like stands out in journals. I feel like it's very kind of... um, women to the front like um Mm. really centers women's experiences yeah Um, hugely yeah and like even though the main protagonist of the show is bojack i feel like it's quite intentional that a lot of the men in the show come out i don't know they seem they're quite hapless yes um (laughs) and the women are holding (laughs) are holding like everything together yes all these sort of entitled men just sort of like fuck it up (laughs) Yeah, you know, they're just like failing upwards, as I think Princess Carolyn says about Todd at some point. (laughs) Yeah, and then like there's um, Charlie Witherspoon, who's one of my favourites. Yeah, starts off as as, um, Princess Carolyn's assistant, just happens to be, I think, a nephew of the the big boss or something. And then like before she knows it, he's risen through the ranks and he's her boss. Great Which voice is... too. That was Raphael Bob Waxberg that did Charlie Witherspoon. Ah, uh, yeah, I knew out. he did a, yeah. at least a few. One of the characters is so good. Fantastic because a... he does sound a bit like that in real life. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a good example of stuff that happens in real life. Like that shit happens all the time, and it's done to comic effect. But it's also like, yep, that's that's yeah. why women are truly the voices of reason. Yes, in the show. And I'll just go through the the female characters and the male characters on that note just a little bit for some context. Diane Nguyen is a human ghostwriter, a well-schooled, misunderstood intellectual and a Vietnamese-American third-wave feminist from Boston. Uh, She's also voiced by, what's her name? Alison Brie. Alison Brie, thank you very much. Yeah, it is not (laughs) Vietnamese. (laughs) No, that is one thing that we can say is a problem. She wants to make a world a better place for women and judges people on her morals, but often breaks them herself. Diane and Bojack develop a strong friendship that initially becomes awkward and strained after Bojack develops romantic feelings for her, especially as she was dating Mr. Peanut Butter at the time. She does eventually marry Mr. Peanut Butter, and Mr. Peanut Butter is played by Paul F. Tompkins, who is an energetic, optimistic, and cheerful yellow Labrador retriever, who is Bojack's former sitcom rival. He was the star of Mr. Peanut Butter's House, which, according to Bojack, borrowed the premise from Horse and Around. But despite their rival rivalry, Mr. Peanut Butter cares a great deal about Bojack's opinion and admires him for his work on Horse and Around. 
And I feel like the character of Mr. Peanut Butter is essentially the character of a Labrador, the way I see it. Yeah, <laughs> it's fantastic the way that they use animals in the show. Um, they sort of take those stereotypes. <laughs> yeah, he's truly a yellow lab. And on that note, I feel like Princess Caroline, who's played by Amy Sedaris, is basically kind of a cat-like personality in the way she interacts, I guess. So she's a pink Persian cat who is Bojack's agent in the first three seasons and also former on and off again girlfriend. She's earnest and unflagging and was a top agent at Vigor Agency through her tireless pursuit of new talent. Though she struggles to find a balance between work and a troubled personal life, taking care of Bojack and her friends, but she does enjoy her fast-paced, hectic lifestyle, and she ends up becoming a working mom. And then Aaron Paul plays Todd Chavez, unemployed, silly, but vastly talented 24-year-old human slacker who ended up at Bojack's house for a party five years ago before the beginning of the series and never left. Although Bojack constantly voices disdain for him, he secretly cares about Todd, continuing to financially support him and sabotages his attempts to gain independence, including Todd's rock opera, which was eventually sabotaged by Bojack. And Margot Martindale. And Margot Martindale. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't seen her in something for a while and then she was in the watch and I'm like, Margot Martindale! Yeah, I've got to admit, I do get it confused with Ann Dowd, so. (laughs) (laughs) Which is also a joke in the show. (laughs) Yeah, which is also a joke in Bojack. She's a fantastic character. (laughs) Yeah, she's the best. Uh, Is there any other characters you think I should mention or we should mention before? Maybe Beatrice. Yes, yes, I did think. Or Holly Hawk. I'll just mention that Beatrice is Bojack's mother who is still alive throughout most of the show. And his long-lost sister, Hollyhock, also appears towards the end of the series too. Yeah, so that's kind of Bojack in a nutshell. I did a little bit of looking into lived experience of the creators. And there's a really good podcast with Raphael Bob Wakesberg um, from GQ, which I'll link in the episode notes, where he talks about how he's experienced quite a lot of generalized anxiety, particularly death anxiety, which is my, my bag. And how he's managed that over the years and how it sort of manifests in him. It's just a really interesting chat. And he talks about how when he got to his 30s, that sort of helped him to sort of not care as much. But his brain still goes into that panic mode. The way he writes Bojack, he obviously really gets it with depression and anxiety. So hearing him talk about it was like, yeah, yeah, he, he does actually. He knows what it's like and you can see that in the show for sure yeah and he has writing credits on some of the most sort of hard-hitting mm. um yeah episodes like i'm pretty sure free charo great episode where it's just bojack eulogizing his mother so it's, it's just one monologue i think he was the sole writer on that episode and yeah wow. so that's an incredible one so i love that episode too because it's so risky and it's done so well and so emotionally and then it really like the punchline at the end is just like on point (laughs) so good yeah fantastic um so lisa as we mentioned before lisa hannawalt is the artist um who knew Raphael in high school i think i did a little bit of research into uh lisa and she also created tuka and birdie which i haven't seen yet You've seen it, haven't you, Annie? Yeah, I've, actually, I've only seen the first season um, because that's all that is on Netflix in Australia and I haven't got my hands on the next two seasons yet. It actually just got cancelled, which is such a bummer no. that um, hopefully it'll get picked up by someone. Yeah, she had a lot of, I think, a, a big hand in the writing on that show and, wow, yeah, 
And I guess Tuca and Birdie, from what I know, is a little bit similar to Bojack in that it's, you know, anthropomorphic animals going through their own journey of life, but also some mental health aspects as well. Yeah, and it goes to some really dark places. Um, I wouldn't want to spoil it for anyone because it's quite new, but Mm. she's sort of affecting women and, yeah, it it has a lot to say. I definitely need to watch it. But, yeah, she's had experiences with chronic illness and anxiety and has lots of physical symptoms of her chronic illness that also triggers panic attacks. Her anxiety really makes its way into her cartoons, like her drawings, and um, I love it because um, she kind of brings a lot of awareness to it. It's it's so funny as well. Mm. Um, Yeah, and it's, you know, it's always nice to have a laugh about these things. Yeah, it's a good coping strategy. And often a lot of very humorous people, you know, have mental health journeys, so it makes sense. I love this quote that I read from her. I don't think I'd be an artist if I didn't have IBS. If I had a perfectly (laughs) formed normal poop once every other day and I could set a clock by it, I don't think I'd be an artist. I'd be a physical trainer. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's very relatable. (laughs) Will Arnett, I didn't read a huge amount about him and I probably could have done a little bit more research because he's quite popular, but I didn't want to go too deep. But he has a history of alcoholism, which is relatable in his show. I think it's called Flaked, which I haven't seen. What's something I've seen one episode of, yeah. And didn't go back. <laughs> didn't, didn't go back in that case. But, yeah, I haven't seen enough to make a solid judgment mm. call. <laughs> I think he was praised for his acting in that. Um, and I quite I quite like Will on it. Uh, Raphael said about him that, like, he's very funny, but there's a darkness in him and there's a sadness lurking underneath him. So he sort of sought him out for Bojack. And I think he was very well cast for that. Yeah, absolutely. Brings a pathos. <laughs> yes, he really yeah. does. I mean, I think we saw a bit of that in Job as well in Arrested Ooh, Development. I was going to say that, yeah. Alison Brie, as we mentioned, isn't Vietnamese. And Raphael d- did acknowledge this. And I quite like what he, you know, the fact that he did and acknowledged that it was a bad move. And he regrets making that call, even though he praises Alison's performance. I think it's probably showing humility by saying that, although, you know, he probably could have just cast somebody else or switched it around as they did in Big Mouth because um, one of the characters who's black was played by someone who's white and then they actually moved on and made way for a black actress. Yeah, something that Lisa actually addressed with Chuka and Birdie too. It's got much, a much more diverse cast than mm, Bojack. Which is good to have. She actually has a family history of uh, mental illness. Her grandmother had schizophrenia. Um, and her mother ended up in care. There was lots and lots of family trauma. And Alison Brie has had a lot of depression, has engaged quite a bit with therapy and has had lots of worries that she will be diagnosed with schizophrenia too, which is why the movie Horse Girl came around, which is also something I've been meaning to cover. (laughs) Yeah, that was very much about her own experience of her family. So, Oh, wow. I did not realise that. Yeah. So she's... I mean, I've always really liked Alison Brie, but now I've got even more respect for her. I really enjoyed that performance. And I thought, like, um, she, I don't know, there's something that she brings to Diane that's really real. Yes. Um, So, yeah, I guess it didn't surprise me to hear that. She's got that lived experience. And that's the, I guess that's the other hand of uh, recasting Alison Brie as Diane. She really is the voice of Diane and she, she brings that character really well. It's just. It's hard to imagine the character without her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
I didn't read much about Paul S. Tompkins, but he did mention that he had a very depressed mum who never he never got validation from and a very depressed dad, which is very in line with Bojack. Uh, he was on the Mental Pod podcast where he talked about a lot of that and self-loathing and professional disappointment that he's experienced. As for Aaron Paul, I couldn't find much about him. He seems like a very content, happy-go-lucky man, which is very in line with <laughs> <Thanks>. Todd. <laughs> Uh, Amy Sedaris uh, has had a family history of mental health issues. Her sister unfortunately suicided in 2013, which her brother David Sedaris wrote about. Yeah. Do you know much about the Sedarises? Mainly from what I've um, read of David's work, because he writes really, um, really funny memoir. And yeah, he doesn't hold back when it comes to um, writing about his family. Mm. Um, it's really wonderful stuff. But yeah, he, he has um, written a bit about mental illness in his family. He's a good read. Love yeah, David. I've actually never read any of his stuff and I've always wanted to, but I've never known where to start. And lastly, Kristen Scholl. I couldn't find anything about her, but she did uh, have an ectopic pregnancy and was in a pretty critically uh, physical condition. But also Kelly Galuska worked quite a bit on BoJack and she was also one of the co-writers of Big Mouth, uh, which we covered the human resources offshoot of Big Mouth in a previous episode. Um, There's lots of female issues mental health issues obviously in big mouth and in human resources so it's good to know that she was also involved in bojack and probably brought a little bit of that as well We interrupt this episode with a very special announcement combined with an ad spot. Before announcing this episode, I posted a hint to Twitter and Instagram to see if people would guess what we're covering. A photo of Honeydew Melon, which, if you know Bojack, you'll recall is a running joke that it's the worst melon and an unwelcome addition to any fruit platter. One person on Twitter picked it because they'd heard me talk about it on their podcast, which is now what I'd like to tell you about. Vampire Insider is an after-show podcast about the AMC television series Interview with a Vampire, adapted from Anne Rice's classic vampire tale. Friends and vampire fans Joanne, Mark and Christina will review and discuss each episode bringing a combination of Jersey Girl snark, philosophical wit and the analysis of a frustrated academic to bear. Now, Interview with a Vampire is a hard show to get if you're Australian, like me, and you have to sign up to an AMC seven-day trial through Prime. And you know how I feel about Prime. But trust me, the reboot of Interview with a Vampire is worth watching. Not only is it content for Anne Rice and vampire lovers in general, it's actually a reboot that isn't just for the sake of it. It's a fresh update on the original book and film where the sexuality of the characters isn't hinted at, it's explicit, making it in line with what we expect from a series in 2022. It also has Australia's Sam Reed starring as Lestat, and he is great. I'll just say that much. But it's also more than just a tale about vampires. But you'll have to listen to the podcast to learn more. I also want to tell you about Christina and Mark's longtime show, Gen X Temporaneous. I've been a listener of this fantastic, thoroughly entertaining podcast for a few years now, and it's one of those few shows which makes me genuinely laugh out loud. And that doesn't happen often to me. Their description is, no niche for us, we can't be contained. Christina does the research, Mark tells the jokes, and together they discuss a variety of topics intelligently, but with so many laughs. It's kind of like being at a party when the small talk stops and the real conversations begin. Mark and Christina talk about common themes of Gen X life, including movies, music, fads and trends, 
cultural issues such as rape culture, victim blaming, and true crime online sleuthing, internet trends, including trolling, parasocial relationships, QAnon, basically anything you want to listen to on a podcast, they have it. And they do it with such humor and a brilliant chemistry. It's so fun to listen to. A recent review compared them to peanut butter and jelly, which is definitely an American thing rather than an Australian thing. But basically, Christine is the sweetness and Mark is the salt. He's the one with the dad jokes and popular takes that Christina likes to rein in with some gentle ribbing. To me, it's like listening to your favorite auntie and uncle chat about the hot topic at the Christmas dinner table. Listen to both Vampire Insider and Gen Extemporaneous on your favorite podcast app. Follow them both on Twitter and the gram and tell them I sent you. And now back to the show. So let's talk about accuracy. I guess I'm interested in sort of kind of diagnosing some of the characters, particularly given they're completely made up cartoons, but also there's a lot of processes and situations that are depicted. So we'll try and get to most of them, Um, but there's a lot to talk about. But firstly, let's talk about Bojack. What are your thoughts on knowing what you know about Bojack and and how you kind of have processed him? What, What are your thoughts on what might be going on for him? I guess the first, my first watch through back when it was being aired, I'd only really thought about it sort of on the level of, okay, he's depressed and he has substance abuse issues and hadn't really thought about it any deeper. In the years between then and the rewatch, I did a a counselling diploma and I did quite a lot of therapy myself and I learned a lot of things about mental health and I came back to it yeah with I don't know looking at it I guess that he's a really complex sort of a picture Mm, mm. and there's a lot there when it comes to sort of like his trauma as like a child and the kind of um, parents that he had his behavior when you get right down to it is I guess you could say reminiscent of sort of a BPD type there's like BPD characteristics there Mm. Um, yeah it's just there's a lot going on he's he's narcissistic yes hugely I guess the thing that just always really stuck with me was like okay this is a person with depression um and maybe that was because of I was seeing myself in him I think yeah Yeah. and that's 100% true is that um depression and substance abuse issues are the things that really sort of affect his life the most I totally agree with you I an underlying personality disorder for Bojack would explain a lot of what's going on for him, potentially, as you say, borderline personality disorder, particularly as he's had blatantly abusive parents with narcissistic tendencies. I definitely think everything that Beatrice Horseman does is indicative of narcissistic personality disorder, like she's a textbook. Huge abandonment issues, which is a very common background to someone with borderline personality disorder or complex PTSD is also a common diagnosis for someone with this kind of background. Some people believe they're the same thing. Uh, I think we still need to do more research into that. But it, it sort of explains why he struggles to get out of his depressive states and 
break out of the substance abuse tendencies and it's sort of once he starts to come to terms with those parts of himself that he can sort of break through those things um, because he tends to repeat those same patterns of self-destructive behavior and also other people's lives in order to get what he wants in order to get people to be close to him like with Todd and destroying his rock opera, which is a very awful thing to do to someone just to get them to not move out of your house. It's obviously a bit of more of an overblown portrayal of someone with abandonment issues, but it's a cartoon, so it's fine. I think there's a lot of emptiness with him as well. It's like he's wanted to be a Hollywood star. He wanted to be a comedian. He wanted to... And then when he's on horsing around, he's a huge star and he's the character and he really struggles to exist outside of that and I think that's why he keeps coming back to horsing around as well because he just kind of doesn't know who he is without Hollywood without being an actor and even you can see that he hates himself like that amazing episode where it's his inner dialogue stupid piece of shit (laughs) stupid piece of shit that's it like that's a really good example of what it's actually like and I think it gives you a lot of empathy for someone You know, even if he was to have a narcissistic personality disorder diagnosis, which I think is a bit too inherently caring for that. Yeah. It's a really good... He's a complicated horse. He's a very complicated horse. horse. Yeah, I loved that that episode and, like, yeah, it really nails it, what depression can be like and, like, the absolutely relentless nature of that, like, inner voice, um, which is kind of, in a way, just made up of all of your your shitty schemas that are underpinning yes. your depression. Um, and all the, the absolute worst case scenarios, etc. Yeah. But interestingly, um, I thought about this after I rewatched it. I've got a um, loved one who has BPD and she's described waking up with what sounds like exactly like word for word what goes on in this episode. And that was something that made me really go, whoa, okay, maybe – Bojack is suffering from borderline personality disorder. Yeah. yeah, that's that's really interesting. Interestingly, she's never seen it. I wonder if that would be helpful. Yeah, yeah to watch I, it for her. I don't know. There's <laughs> a lot of things in it that might not be so helpful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's what's really important about this show is it really gives you an insight into the inner workings. Bojack never gets given a diagnosis. No, and addiction. I feel like they do want to bring attention to the fact that like the things that Bojack does like as as terrible as they can be at times it just gets brushed off as like shitty behavior just um yeah just Bojack acting out Bojack being Bojack whereas I feel like if that was a female character you know people would be quite keen to slap a a mental illness label on there 100% Um, and that's often why BPD is more commonly diagnosed in women than men. Yeah, women tend to be villainized a little bit more than men. Yeah, but then I, I don't feel like it would have been particularly helpful if they had pointed out at any point that Bojack had BPD because, like, he's so unchecked. His mental mm. health is just out of control. I feel like people with BPD have enough to deal with. Just in that the diagnosis itself is kind of based on, I guess, what could really easily be construed as just, like, your personality traits yeah whereas like if you have say just like a straight depression diagnosis it's like you have a chemical imbalance it's Mm -hmm. not your fault it's in Mm -hmm. your genes um yeah it's not you we'll we'll give you some drugs you'll have some talk therapy you'll be okay whereas bpd it's really points the finger yes um 
I would yeah. love them to change the name, to be honest. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. yeah. And I get how that won't feel good. Yeah. You're sort of like being given this really damning portrait of yourself that's very negatively biased and it's only looking at these sorts of this part of you and yeah it's it's just so unfair but anyway yeah and I just think Bojack would not help (laughs) no I agree and I think it was intentional to not give him a diagnosis so that people who see themselves in Bojack aren't gonna be like oh well I don't have borderline so you know you know you know what I mean like it's relatable to everybody and if if he was diagnosed it might have limited some of that relatability Um, Because, you know, he could be diagnosed with anything. (laughs) He's he's a cartoon horse. And certainly he is depressed. Oh, yes. He's depressed. He does have substance issues um, and a lot of people can see themselves in that. Exactly, yeah. That's a good perspective on borderline personality disorder itself and it's not very common that people seek out that diagnosis because it's so laden with stigma. And psychiatry's not been very good with that as well as just depictions and society's view of personality disorders I think it's important to recognize that it's not a person's fault that they have these say feelings of emptiness difficulties forming healthy relationships difficulties with emotions etc like yeah something that develops essentially as a coping mechanism having been through incredibly difficult things um when you're young yeah yeah not your fault (laughs) exactly it's not people's fault there's a lot of misinformation and mis misunderstanding about borderline personality just sort of which hasn't helped and so yeah I agree I don't think a diagnosis would have been particularly helpful in the show moving on to Diane I relate pretty hard to Diane in many many ways and I think we can definitely say she has depression she's she's eventually treated with medication I think she and Bojack are very similar in that well they are very similar but Bojack's sort of insecurities kind of manifest in him thinking he's better than everyone else or more genuine or real than everyone else. (laughs) I think Diane's very similar in that way. I think there is a tendency, I'm speaking for myself here, so others may not relate to this, but I think especially when I was younger and less now that I've gotten over myself, (laughs) um, there's this tendency with depressed people to feel like you see something that other people aren't seeing that you are this incredibly sort of astute observer, that you understand the world in a way that other people don't, Mm. and that is why you are depressed. Mm. And I think there's a grain of truth in there. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I was so the same. I tend to be very similar (laughs) with that. And I think in some ways, yeah, like you say, there is a grain of truth because – yeah, like, I mean, Diane's sort of railing against things in a world that, like, they just don't make sense. Yeah. Like, um, sexism and exploitation, like, sexual exploitation. She has a go at gun control. <laughs> there was <laughs> that incredible moment. Um, who knew men hate women more than they hate guns? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so accurate. Um, they really. Yeah, like, um, fracking and all kinds of stuff. Like, it's mm. all quite rational. Like, she's distressed for good reasons yes yes she's um, got very legitimate reasons to be upset and depressed at times yeah so. but then of course she has this developed this really negative bias that makes her unhappy mm, yeah she's looking for the bad yeah yeah and I think that's a really important way to look at it because like 
she's relatable and there are parts of her that are like valuable as well like anyone who's more of an introvert and has a tendency towards suppression anxiety tend to overthink things and be very analytical that's not to say people who don't do that don't get depressed they definitely do but um she's definitely one of those people where like her insight and her way of thinking is valuable particularly in the work that she does and she's got very high standards of people and very strong values yeah she's she's always trying to do the right thing yeah yeah, but I guess it gets to a point where it starts to sort of inhibit her ability to sort of to move forward or to feel, yeah, good about herself. And yeah, it gets gets unhealthy. But like that kind of worldview, it's like so understandable, so relatable right Hugely. now. It's like you're constantly having your your fears, like your worst fears, reinforced by like the next worst thing that happens, yeah. like the next horrible thing on the news. And um, like Trump running yeah. again is something that would yeah. be a bonus. <laughs> plot line <laughs> absolutely yeah diane so relatable yeah hugely i really love her portrayal of going on medication it's probably one of so good one of the more accurate depictions and like the feelings and the thoughts that she goes through there's that great montage where that you kind of being introduced to the idea that she's on antidepressants now and she is put in a bunch of like really <laughs> annoying scenarios that would normally sort of like tip her over the edge (laughs) Um, and instead she's kind of like she's just given the thumbs up it's just like this is just a mild irritation now (laughs) it's not going to send me into a depression (laughs) it's really great (laughs) so true and I love that she like you can see that it's not a quick fix and it's not like that's a good example of her life isn't completely turned around it's just like things are a little bit less annoying than they were before and I can kind of move on as well as the fact that you see her like gradually put on weight in the show and that isn't a dress that isn't like shown as like you can see that's you know her her jacket sort of gets a bit tight she has to change her clothes a bit but it's no one comments on it it doesn't send her down a spiral or anything it's just like this is a side effect yeah it's neither that, that was there. really incredible like it literally is never commented upon mm. it just is and it, it shouldn't be commented upon you know it's ideal she's yeah. doing better now and that's the only thing that matters exactly yeah yeah parents take note <laughs> Bojack and Diane's relationship is one that I find really interesting and I think is one of the best parts of the show because it's it's complex they really feel seen by each other Mm. and that's where the sexual tension comes from Mm -hmm. yeah I really like the quote because they go through quite a lot together she bails him out a few times he kind of bails her out but in his Bojack way a few times there's kind of kindred spirits in each other but in order to maintain the kind of friendship that they would want is not necessarily healthy for both of them because they also tend to like bring each other into their own spiral I guess they're connecting on that really intense wavelength Mm. I wish I remembered the quote one of the last things she says to him it might even be like one of the last lines is like sometimes people are in your life for a reason and then you're better off not having that person in your life that doesn't mean it's a bad yeah, thing yeah no, I don't remember exactly what it said <laughs> but it's such a powerful scene and that she obviously wants to cut ties with him mm. but also thanks him yes like she gives him this really heartfelt thank you and yeah and we know that he has been this thing that has really kept her afloat mm. at a lot of points 
like in the last few years. I love that. Um, <laughs> there's that bit where um, Diane's hiding from Mr. Peanut Butter at Bojack's house. Mm-hmm. And um, Miss Peanut Butter thinks that Diane's still in Cordovia um, helping the orphans. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and um, we get to see sort of the um, depressive spiral Diane. And I love Trash Diane. Amazing. <laughs> she's, she's I really enjoyed, <laughs> enjoyed that. I think a lot of people would have seen themselves in that. Hugely. Um, really fantastic. And yeah, I mean, he enabled her, but got her through that. Yeah. <laughs> that period. And sometimes that's what you need. Yeah. He was a friend. Yeah. And they sort of saw their friendship for what it needed to be and what where it needed to go, I guess. Yeah. So moving on to Mr. Peanut Butter. I love Mr. Peanut Butter. Yeah, he's... <laughs> He's great. Um, I didn't really have a particular like diagnosis for him. Like, like, there's definitely some elements of toxic positivity there. His character is essentially the character of a Labrador, which, and I guess he's got maybe got some ADHD type tendencies, but in a very like stereotypical way. Yeah. Um, easily distractible and very excitable, more the hyperactive type. Mm. But you know. So he- He's happy. Yeah, he, he starts off as a fairly shallow sort of a character, but they do give him more depth as he goes along. Mm. And actually re-watching it, I felt like there was always depth implied to Mr. Peanut Butter. He, there's a few throwaway mm. things that he says that watching again, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> there's this mm. one time where he says um, he's giving, I think, Diane advice about life and says the key to um key to life is just filling your life with unimportant nonsense and then one day you're dead (laughs) i was like whoa yeah (laughs) yeah and then later we see him um as sad dog yes yes um, which is like this hilarious send-up of like that sort of empty government funded Mm -hmm. sort of awareness raising Mm -hmm. and even though he kind of falls into it by accident he does become the sad dog yes and we do get to see a side of him that's maybe a little bit more kind of contemplative and we can see that he's got regrets about the way that he's been in relationships yes and then there's a little bit more to him Mm. yeah i love his arc i think he's meant to sort of be this foil to bojack like yeah he's obviously got his own show in the 90s mr peanut butter's house who bojack sees as like the inferior kind of knockoff version of Mm. his show both of them have their old theme songs as their mobile phone (laughs) um, tone yes Um, like they're both very much still really invested in that old role yeah yeah but they kind of deal with it in different ways and they're very different people it reminds me of if anyone's seen it toast of london and ray purchase (laughs) and their rivalry Yeah. You kind of end up seeing like the happiness is re- is genuine, but there's also mm-hmm. stuff that Mr. Peanut Butter isn't really acknowledging that means that he tends to sort of repeat the same patterns and has these long but failed marriages and kind of comes to terms with the fact that maybe he needs to listen and be a bit more yeah. focused on the loved ones in their life and acknowledge what they need and want as well. So I thought that was a, not so in your face, but in a, in a very long game sort of way that we kind of learn. Yeah, there's a good payoff there with that episode where we learn about all these past relationships. Yeah, from the Halloween party. The way that I guess we sort of like carry a certain version of ourselves into relationships and mm. then we are a different person sort of playing off our partner and he realizes that he's kind of soured these um i think he calls them like vivacious young women or or whatever (laughs) who have like 
just gotten the shits with his like toxic positivity and like he's just got this like flagrant disregard for the wants and boundaries of other people yeah and also Um, doesn't necessarily see them as they are but sees them as how he perceives them there's that moment of like oh it's me yeah (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's not them it's me and yeah you really root for him even though he's like you can also see why Jack Horseman finds him so irritating. Yeah. You are a good boy, Mr. Peanut Butter. Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) So let's move on to Todd. I've been thinking about Todd over time and at first I was like, I wonder if he could meet criteria for ADHD. And then I thought, no, he's got so many irons in the fire. He's actually doing pretty well given that he's got so much going on in his life. But then after talking to Jordan on our last episode and reading a bit more into it, he probably could meet the ADHD criteria because it's a bit more of that more what we know about ADHD now. It's not the hyperactive kid. It's sort of that brain that has a lot of connections happening at once and that's seeking out lots of dopamine. Yeah, it's got a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah, <laughs> and being able to sort of be kind of okay at lots of different things but also really drop the ball on other things that are you know seen as important. He's just got a very amazing brain that goes lots of different places and he can kind of hyperfixate a little bit on things as well so like he has one intense project and then he has another intense project so what are your thoughts on Todd? He can be quite wise can't he? Yeah he's yeah. a little genius at times. I actually yeah I mean ADHD definitely um makes sense but um I thought he has autistic traits as well. Yeah I have thought um, that as well that, that that could also be an explanation for some of his traits. Yeah his partner that he ends up with, Maud, especially together, mm. they, yeah, autistic couple. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the autistic community online is like really happy to include Todd, I think. As, um, yeah, he's definitely got... Um... <laughs> he's queer, neurodivergent. Yeah. yeah he's got it all going on. He's got on. those vibes. I love that he discovers that he's asexual and it, it's like a journey that we go on with him as well, like trying to date and really breaks down some of that misperception of what it actually means to be asexual. Like it doesn't mean you don't want a relationship with someone. Yeah, like it's so poorly understood. Yeah. Um, point that, like I think a large chunk of the population is unaware that asexuals even exist. Yes. So it was kind of cool that he could create this positive stereotype, like beating the media to the, like the punch. Yeah. <laughs> like this sort of positive model for asexuality because i don't think we've really seen that in media that i can tell anyway no like it's not like he didn't have relationships before or you know he's this strange creature um he's very lovable and he's very affectionate so it really yeah breaks down some of those not even misconceptions he's he's just trying to make himself yeah fit in those relationships because you know it's asexuality just wasn't out there enough for him to be aware that that was something that he could be yeah like that his lack of sexual desire was normal um and he kind of just um is really avoidant Mm. up until that point where emily sort of like nails it for him emily's played by abby jacobson who herself is queer and i wonder if that came into some of that you know i don't know how much the guest actors influenced the show but i feel like there's probably a little bit there because some of the characters are very much like their guest actors but yeah, like it feels like the character of Emily is like a little bit more knowledgeable about sexuality and it's a very sort of organic conversation that she and Todd has where he kind of goes, I don't think yeah. I'm anything. 
and done in a very um, safe way. Yeah, it's really lovely. It's kind of good modeling for people trying to have those conversations or discover that about themselves and how to actually approach that. So lastly, Princess Caroline. I don't think I have a diagnosis for her apart from the fact that she is a chronic overachiever (laughs) and people pleaser, but also, you know, wants to have hers as well. I feel like work is very much her identity and I I love the storyline when she starts to parent for the first time when she adopts uh, Ruthie and how she tries to balance those two identities because she's she's not the most traditional female so trying to be a mum as well as continue to be the manager that she is is a real struggle and also try and connect with Ruthie as well. Yeah, that was really incredible. That episode that sort of centered on that, you get that great um, sort of use of the format and there was that sort of layered image and sound kind Mm. of, um, it kind of just blurs time. Yeah, with the the ticking clock and her doing all the different things. So repetitive and so demanding that she's just lost in it. Yeah. Yeah. And that is very incredible and stressful and (laughs) it terrified me. (laughs) I mean, I wasn't working when I had a newborn, but yeah, the repetition and your mind doing so many different things at the, at the same time and being present with your child, but also thinking, okay, I need to do this and this and that and being in like a different world. And even when you are at work, sort of thinking about your child, it did that so well. And it was kind of brutal as well. Like, shit, yeah, that's kind of what it was like. And it fucking sucked. But like, at the end of the day, yeah, it's it worth felt it. Like there was definite lived experience there, whoever was behind that. Like, yeah, 100%. Felt, yeah, that felt real. Um, there was that great payoff at the end of that, I think, though, with um, Vanessa Gecko, who's always sort of Princess Carolyn's rival. Yeah. I love her. In a, in a Mr. Peanut Butter and Bojack kind of way almost. <laughs> um, and they eventually sort of bond over the demands of being a working mother. And um, mm. yeah, of course, it's like a cruel trick of sort of internalized misogyny that leads us to see other women as the enemy. Or yes. The comp- competitors. And yeah, it was, it was a relief that they finally were able to become friends. Yeah. yeah they, they did that really well because, you know, it's an ongoing joke about Vanessa Kekko and then sort of flipping it to being like, you know, actually they can be women supporting each other is like shows a lot of insight and another message that Bojack tries to share with society. I just also want to comment that I think it's pretty clear that Judah is written to have autism or to be neuro divergent in, in some way and I think he's a great character yeah it's a little bit on the nose though yeah yeah it is like such a great character but at the same time they're sort of it's so classical yeah yeah uh, presentation it's like they're almost hitting over the head with it um that you're meant to identify this as an autistic character not that they ever label him and like they don't really give him any backstory like yeah. there's not a lot of to him but at the same time like he's so good like you understand sort of what is motivating him and mm. like he has really strong values and mm. so protective of princess carolyn like you can imagine that the detail to his life yeah i think we see a little bit of his inner world when he he's got his concert and you kind of see that sort of side of him as well but yeah there, there would have been nice to be a bit more there but I think it is also like showing his sort of no-nonsense attitude is exactly kind of what Princess Caroline needed and 
that's how yeah, they absolutely can he's the only character that could be worthy of her yeah exactly yeah we're invited to like really like him because he's just he's so he's just admirable in so many ways love judah it's a really positive depiction yeah if indeed they were sort of setting out to do that they i think yeah. they did that well i really feel like it affirms sort of the value of autistic people in the workplace as well yes. like it's so fucking efficient like <laughs> extremely reliable yeah well yeah. they can be anyway yeah. but not everybody is the same So I, I kind of wanted to talk about some of the story arcs that are big parts of the show and I'll try not to take up too much of our time but there's some huge hitters <laughs> so I want to start with abortion because I feel like it tackles abortion in a number of ways extremely well. Brat brat pew pew. <laughs> yeah brat brat pew pew. <laughs> What did you think of the depiction of abortion in the show? Yeah, I feel like they handled that in a really interesting way. I liked it. And it was really great, that sort of turning point for Diane, where she's really hard on Aquafina. Yeah, Aquafina. Yeah, and I think she's sort of like making light of a serious issue with like this song that she's released um and which sort of talks about it's kind of like a the fetus is like an alien that you need to get out of your body and stuff and it's like it's so over the top to the point of being pretty funny Mm. and diane just just thinks it's in really poor taste but then it's pointed out to her by someone that she's at the abortion clinic with that like she's scared and she doesn't know what's going on and someone making light of it in that way made her feel better Mm, Um, mm. yeah it was interesting I guess it's a it's an important perspective of when of using humor that's not necessarily like the most politically correct or um, appropriate there's still a place for for that, you know, when because we're going we all through something know that no person accessing an abortion is taking that decision lightly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like what comes across. Definitely, I, th- I love that it um, an exploration of like not someone who's a teenage girl, you know, the sort of mm. stereotype, um, but someone who is stable and in a relationship, you know, has the means to have a child, but just doesn't want kids, and it's not a question. Yeah, like Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter are on the page, like on the same page, yeah. like immediately. Like, no. <laughs> Um, which is a really important portrayal that it's um, that's okay (laughs) essentially yeah and I did read that they did a lot of research into it the writer Joanna Carlo I think her name is talked to abortion providers put a lot of thought into the message and the responsible way to send it so it doesn't feel too glib while at the same time having the same silly fuck you energy that our show is known for in her words (laughs) Um, yeah that sums it up much better yeah. yeah So it's very, yeah. it was also very female led as well in writing this, this episode. So I think they did that really well and you can see it. And I like how we then see the flip side of Princess Caroline trying to um, have a child and struggling and having miscarriages and having to keep going and then eventually being able to adopt. But you see her struggle with that as well and how hard that is. So I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah, they really come at sort of fertility issues and stuff from a lot of angles. It's quite interesting. Yeah, and and that sort of goes back to what you said. Like it's um, the main character is a male. It's a very male-centric show, but there's so much femininity and female issues that are dealt with really, really well in the show. Yeah. Is there any particular backstories that you want to focus on? Um, I mean, what really stands out is the backstory with Beatrice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's sort of underpinning Bojack's story 
yeah, I would love to talk about that because yes, let's do it. It's just done so well. Oh my god, <laughs> so well, and um, also that sort of exploration of dementia. Yeah, yeah. Um, Times arrow. Yeah, my, that's got to be my favorite episode of the whole series. I think. Yeah, it really um changed the way that I I see dementia. I guess where had a um, great grandmother with dementia growing up, and I remember one of my first one of the first interactions with her that I remember that I found her quite scary and that she wasn't making a lot of sense mm. and really like with like sort of like a lot of venom in her voice. I remember her saying to me, which one are you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, I think I carried that through into adulthood. Mm. I haven't had a lot to do with um, people with dementia in the years since she died. And um yeah, I, I really had a poor understanding of it. And I developed a lot of empathy watching that mm. cartoon. So, yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking, actually. Yeah, it feels really scary, like, watching that episode. And even though, as we know about Beatrice, she's, she was a terrible mother to Bojack and quite abusive, but it really makes you feel like no one deserves to feel how she must have must feel going through dementia and not knowing what's real and what's going on and where you are and etc I feel like that and also the father that movie really Mm. gives you a bit of an understanding of what that must feel like I really love the backstory that we sort of hear too in the later part of the series where we understand that Beatrice's mother was was it her mother or grandmother who had Uh, her mother yeah honey sugarman Yeah. yeah so Bojack's grandmother yeah had quite severe mental illness going through severe grief over her brother being killed in at war and experiencing what seems like a bit of psychosis and then ending up what seems like having some sort of operation to quote-unquote fix her like that would have been such a traumatic experience and also the message of of being told like don't let your emotions consume you because you don't want to end up like your mum yeah, and there's that horrible moment that punctuates that episode where she sort of just trails off and she says, why I have half a mind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. she's had a, I, th- I think, what's meant to be a prefrontal um, lobotomy. Yes. And it's like, <laughs> horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good example of very good writing as well and harking back. Um, yeah, so I guess it gives us a bit of... Like we're, we're not supposed to like Beatrice, obviously, but it also gives us a really good understanding of what she's been through and why she is the way she is and then hence why Bojack is the way he is, hence that intergenerational trauma arc. which um, Yeah, like you can um, trace the the trauma from like Crackerjack dying and like Honey Sugarman, Beatrice's mother, through to Beatrice through to Bojack mm. and then to everyone that Bojack is in contact yep, with. Yeah, anyone who cares about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like all because of this son that died at war in like 1944 or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that kind of comes back to and definitely an episode I really want to talk about, I'm sure you do too, the second last episode when all the way through he's sort of seen um, Secretariat is this kind of father figure or stand-in father figure for his very absent, also abusive father. And <laughs> I love that in the second last episode, Secretariat's like, yeah, I'm, I don't know why I'm also your dad, but I'm your dad or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, you know, he had no model for what it's actually how to interact with people and how to 
you know, have a reciprocal healthy relationship with people that you love. And so I think that's where he sees Secretariat as like a model or a hero because, yeah, there's a lot behind it of like like his advice was just keep running. So keep running from your problems, keep running into like avoidance and escapism. So, yeah, it sort of links back to he didn't have parents, so he had Secretariat and his message was also kind of unhealthy. Yeah, the first, I think it's the first season they bookend it. Yeah, it's the first season you were introduced to Bojack. He's on a talk show. Mm, yeah, um, yep, yep. Yeah, and then they do the same thing the last episode of that season where it's Secretariat's on the talk show with young Bojack watching. Mm, mm. Yeah. Oh, so flips it around. God, they are. <laughs> yeah, they really are. They do a lot of that and incredible. What did you think of that, the second last episode, which was he's he's in a coma, he's in the pool, and he's having sort of like a near-death experience and hallucinating. It's a very existential episode, so all the people in his life who have died are around the table, as well as Zach Braff. <laughs> incredible callback to that episode where um jessica beale yeah. burns him in a fire <laughs> yeah yeah i love really it great because at first i was like what is zach braff doing yeah. here like, oh yeah he does die again very clever so yeah. clever what were your feelings and thoughts on that episode because i just it's just an amazing piece of art uh, like everyone i was blown away by the poem mm-hmm. um so it's kind of this meditation on someone who's well secretariat himself who's like jumped from a bridge um an act of suicide and has a moment halfway down to the water where they have decided that maybe it wasn't such a good idea and that it's not what they want Mm. and they want to go back and wow fucked (laughs) sorry wow (laughs) Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not something that I had ever really heard articulated before. Yeah, the, what is there to say? It's just, it's just, yeah, it's incredibly rough. Yeah. I think, like, it's a brutal truth and I think it's really impressive that they show that in also a very, like, fantastical way as well in that, in that episode. And it's also, I guess, a turning point for Bojack as well. And one of the things I say particularly about the very much the continual arc of being sober and relapsing with with alcoholism is they knew that Bojack had to get sober eventually but lots of people come this close to death and don't necessarily take the steps they need in order to take to get better and it can be very hard to do that so you know and it's not just a quick oh okay I'm fixed now I've recovered from this near-death experience because he's you know not like he goes to jail (laughs) um yeah and you know it's there's only one more episode left so they can't do a lot in that time but I feel like they did like it's a huge wake-up call but it's also he's still Bojack and he still has connections in his life that he's probably ruined for a good amount of time or it's going to be hard to rebuild and nothing's perfect but he's in a sort of more understanding place than he was before it's neither like a a happy nor a sad ending it's that we're left still at that place in the middle Mm. like where he's dealing with the consequences of his actions he um hasn't died Mm. um and now you know he's got to make a life for himself and he's got to find a way forward and I think a lot of people struggle with the ending but I think it's pretty satisfying yeah I'm Um, I was pretty happy with it 
Um, yeah, it really sort of holds true to the theme of the show, I guess, you know. He's just trying to find a way to live his life. Mm, and be, I guess, be okay with himself as well. Yeah, finding a way to be. Yeah. I guess on that note, one we could talk about so much, but one major thing that it comments on, which I think it does really well as well, is the Me Too movement. Oh, yeah, Hank Hippopotamus. Hank Hippopotamus. Hank Hippopotamus. Yes. Hank Hippopotamus. <laughs> As well as he also experiences it with Gina in that pretty um, brutal plot line where he strangles Gina when he's absolutely yeah, that's hard to watch. <laughs> he's absolutely fucked up on drugs and doesn't know where he is. And I think they they deal with that on so many levels, like like with Hank Hippopotamus and Bojack being like not in the firing line and Diane trying to get some justice. And then Bojack going through it as well and being able to sort of empathize with him, but also what it's like to have to have someone in your life who's done this horrible thing and knowing that they're probably just going to get away with it, as well as seeing it from Gina's perspective of not wanting to be that person who was strangled by Bojack Horseman and having that ruin her career, which is absolutely like more common the case. Yeah, there's that incredible bit of dialogue between... Um, Gina and Bojack where she's telling him that she doesn't want the thing that people remember her by to be that she got yeah Mm. assaulted by that guy yeah I totally understand where she was coming from with that and she makes this enormous sacrifice in order to sort of like be able to continue to have a career Mm. and not become this media victim but then to do so she has to pretend that this didn't happen to her and wow yeah it seems like a pretty accurate portrayal of what it's like on that side from what we know and then I guess leading to that is the situation with Bojack and Penny that he's sort of harboring in the back of his mind um hoping that nothing comes out and trying to sort of come to terms with the fact that it was pretty fucked up and having that guilt and then I guess it's it's kind of a blurry like it's an example of where like obviously Bojack's like done the wrong thing and he's, yeah. he's in a situation where like that it's really a fucked up situation but it's sort of blurry as well in his head he's trying to justify like nothing happened but then knowing that yeah. it probably would have happened. Yeah and it's interesting that after all the horrible things that he does at this time mm. where you know nothing happened it's the thing that ultimately brings him down. Yeah. Yeah. He's a he's a shit. He's a shit, <laughs> and and his friends confronting him with that. Like Diane, really, is it Diane that really sort of says like, no, you don't get to just walk out there and go back to your your class. Like you have to deal with this. Yeah, so she walks away from it. Mm. Yeah, whereas Princess Carolyn chooses to stay on that sinking ship. Yeah, um, is so devoted in him, devoted to him and I guess so invested sunk cost yeah yeah (laughs) at that point yeah and I guess from an audience perspective it's like people are complex there's no black and white like we tend to demonize people or glorify people but we're all complex humans Bojack is an asshole and a shit person but also we empathize and care about him at the same time and we don't like having those two feelings happen at the yeah. same time but they can <laughs> they can they and they 
balance it really well I think mm. or we we do empathize with him and we do like Bojack but we never get too close to him because he doesn't deserve it no yeah as he is yeah we don't need another show glorifying you know shitty male behavior um, and they knew that and I feel like they did negotiate the balance pretty well mm. yeah I think so yeah, there's that kind of real emphasis on, like, accountability. Yeah. Like, ultimately, he has to be made accountable. And he is. Yeah, I guess what's coming to him. I think that's a really good message in the show that, like, people could take some lessons from, <laughs> is that you can be a shit person and you can also punish yourself for it. Because he does. He punishes himself quite a bit for it. And I think he thinks, oh, I- I'm already doing myself enough punishment. You don't need to punish me too. But, like, no, it's not just about feeling bad. It's also about taking accountability and trying to right some of those wrongs and live with the consequences of that. Look, I think Diane says something about you've got to learn to do more good things and less bad things. Yes. And those good things have kind of got to stack up over time. And I think on that note as well, like Todd has a really good quote. You can't keep doing bad things and then feel bad about yourself as if that makes it okay. Like, Yes. I feel like I've yeah. thought that. I've got that down too, yeah. You are all the things that are wrong with you. It's not the alcohol or the drugs or any of the shitty things that happened in your career or when you were a kid, it's you. Yeah. And wow. Wow. <laughs> Such a great moment. I think I was listening to some other podcast where they were saying, like, you can explain your behavior through, like, childhood trauma, et cetera, but, but you can't excuse your behavior through that. And that I think that's a really good Yeah, message. yeah. It's like your maladaptive behaviors are not your fault necessarily, but it never makes it okay to hurt someone else. No. So it's never okay to hurt someone else. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I think we'll we'll move on to stereotypes and helpful or harmful messages. I think we've pretty much covered that it really subverts a lot of the stereotypes about mental illness and really shows a much more like accurate depiction of quite a lot of things or any depiction at all. But it also kind of subverts those typical tropes seen in comedy TV. Like you think it's going to be a bit of a silly comedy, but then it's not. Yeah, definitely. Sneaking the the heavy stuff in with with a bit of silly. Todd sort of provides a, a foil for that. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, the, some of his hijinks provides the balance. Yeah, like the <laughs> prince and the pauper sort of swap around, ending up being like a dictator from Cordovia and stuff like that. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I think it also is sort of in terms of mental illness in shows, like no one's ever just fixed, like no one's ever better, but they do go on an improvement journey. And like through six seasons, Bojack has learned, like he grows a little bit, but he's only just started the journey by the time we leave him. Yeah, he started to sort of twig that that's like the great work of his life is Mm. finding a way to manage himself and to live well and that, career in a lot of ways is just you know it's secondary and he has to find a way to live a good life yeah he's been preoccupied you know with the wrong things and that's why it's always felt so empty to him yeah yeah exactly yeah it was kind of filling a hole but it's never going to fill the hole but it's not necessarily saying that anyone who's a celebrity needs to like let go of that life because other people are still in that life it's just for Bojack he needs to focus in it's also like kind of a subversion of the anti-hero sort of stereotype because we we love a yeah. we love a villain we love an anti-hero like Tony Soprano and uh, Walter White etc. 
And instead of us being still like, yeah, go Bojack, it's kind of more of a cautionary tale of what not to do in your life. Like we root for him, but we don't think he's the greatest guy in the world. Yeah, it's a character that really sort of like does put Bojack on that tier of like prestige television. Yeah. Like, yeah, like um, Breaking Bad and The Sopranos. Really nuanced character. Yeah, but he, like he doesn't sort of win in the end, which is I think good. Also, I love Sarah Lynn as a character, which we didn't haven't really got to, but she's kind of a sub- no. She kind of subverts the Britney Spears, like Lindsay Lohan, nineties pop artist, like child star, like the tragic sort of trope. And I feel like we've all been complicit in the stereotypes of those pop stars, and we've sort of learned our lesson in twenty the twenty twenties. <laughs> Thanks to like Britney yeah, Spears yeah. being free, etc. Yeah, we, we have evolved a little bit there because it was so easy. Yeah, in the age of sort of Britney and Lindsay Lohan and whatnot, I feel like there was that like Schadenfreude, you know, because we, as we see it, I guess they have it all. You know, mm. they've got the the fame and the money, and the, there was some part of us. I say us, probably me at the time. Definitely um, me. <laughs> um, it just seemed a bit ridiculous mm. it's like with everything they have just seemed really absurd yeah um and a bit of a circus you know it's the car crash that you can't look away from but of course they've led these incredibly difficult mm. lives up to that point they've been just chewed up and spat out by sort of like the the disney machine and you know had their innocence really commodified and then you know once they reach puberty they, they get kicked to the curb and, they're, and um, they're objectified so much and it's no wonder they then sort of struggle with this identity crisis and it must be incredibly difficult they I mean they're groomed from such an early age some of those kids and um, I think they do a pretty good job with Sarah Lynn um, bring that to our attention I suppose um, yeah in like subtle and big ways throughout the show like she's a she's a character that comes in and out and then she'll say some really profound things as well like being a child star must be a form of like child abuse she says that it's amazing that it's legal for kids to be actors Mm. how is that not child labor I didn't know what I was signing up for I was three yeah 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 (laughs) how could you know you weren't signing up no one let you (laughs) yeah and like being exposed to alcohol so young and who's along the way allowed those little things to happen that has led to having such a a rough start and like a spiral later on in life it's really quite hard to watch and um what happens with her is like that's got to be one of the biggest gut punches of the whole show yeah yeah Um, huge because they want you to reflect on how you have sort of perceived the real life version Mm. that you've been watching in um the tabloids and whatnot like over your own life and yeah and I, I felt so much guilt I felt really bad about the way that I had perceived that when I was younger yeah Um, and my lack of understanding absolutely Um, me too I think it was a a bold move and the correct move to sort of have her die in the show because it's like this is what society has done (laughs) yeah offers up these kids as sacrifices horrible horrible (laughs) absolutely horrible (laughs) on that note do we think it's helpful horribleness or harmful horribleness um, it's it's helpful I think it, it's powerful like it does get you to change your perspective and have a little bit more empathy yeah 
And I think the fact oh. that it's animal hybrid <laughs> yeah. characters, we can let ourselves connect with it without it being too painful, I guess. And it's easier to sort of project ourselves on these characters. Yeah, but I feel like she's been made a, a human on purpose. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. So that we really feel that. Yeah, um, Sarah it's Lynn. not that disconnect we feel a little bit with sort of some of the thing, horrible things that Bojack does because, you know, he's not a, not a human. Mm. <laughs> There's been a lot of research into Bojack Horseman and how whether it's been helpful or harmful generally and whether it's helped people come to terms with mental illness, etc. And it's been overwhelmingly positive, particularly given how meta it is. Like there's so many storylines that people have really seen themselves in and feel that it really nails it in an extremely relatable way, in a way that helps others understand those things that are occurring, such as depression. Um, and especially with like the Me Too aspect, like like the way it addresses power imbalance and that it's not quite so black and white when there's an abuse of power. Like you can understand that Bojack doesn't mean to do the things he does to is a blurry consent line or puts people makes people feel vulnerable or unsafe but he doesn't doesn't understand the power imbalance there that um yeah and I think that's a really important message um that it's not as black and white as for for the abuser as well as the abused I guess yeah there's that moment towards the end of the series like right at the end where he's meeting with sort of one of the producers of horsing around and he finds out that he couldn't know that he actually could have saved his friend herb who was Mm. behind the show from getting fired um he's fired over a a scandal over herb's gay Mm. and that's like a big scandal because of the the times um Yeah, Bojack finds out that if he had threatened to walk, that Herb would have been able to stay on the show. And he's always thought that he was powerless to keep him from getting fired. Yes. That was, like, really impactful. And that kind of sent him on his last sort of spiral, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, that really tracks with his low self-esteem, I guess. Mm. Bojack doesn't realise how powerful he is. And it's sort of an explanation for how having low self-esteem doesn't, like, give you a pass. Like sometimes it can get in the way of seeing the impact you make on other people like oh but I think I'm shit so it's fine like no yeah. one no one else thinks I'm that great but like actually you have some power like you need to acknowledge that yeah he's like unaware of his power but we see that he benefits from it like nonetheless like, yeah exactly you don't need to be aware of your privilege to benefit from it yeah so. that's a really important message that I think we can all get behind and yeah, like what we said before, it's a really um, helpful depiction of someone who is as narcissistic as Bojack is and what it's like to be on the receiving side of it as well. Like how people who have made some hurtful mistakes can move forward, but it's also how the people in their lives can have those people in their life or not and what that's like. Like you can still love those people, but have rules or expectations around them being in your life I feel like Todd puts these in place quite a bit he sort of throughout the show moves a little bit further and further away from Bojack yeah Todd actually has really good he's got great boundaries moving along yeah Yeah. he's quite assertive when he needs to be which is amazing and I think Princess Caroline has a really good arc in that she finally sort of figures out you have to stop enabling those people and cleaning up their messes like it actually doesn't help them 
or yourself. Like you can be supportive yeah. but not enabling. And then for other people like Diane, it sort of shows that sometimes letting them go is the right decision as well. And maybe your life isn't compatible with them anymore. Yeah. Hard lessons. Hard lessons, yeah. That's life. I guess also just lastly, I think it's a really helpful depiction of mental illness being something that anyone can have. Celebrities, like I feel like many people on the show of lots of different aspects of life show themselves having yeah, mental illness. you can have it all. It makes no difference. Exactly. Mm. And I think it's a really helpful depiction of treatment as well. Like treatment can be helpful, which is nice because there's been so many depictions of either not getting any treatment for mental illness in the media or it not really being useful or love fixing it or something like that. I actually thought it was like maybe harmful the way that they sort of introduced the idea of going to a psychologist or like doing talk therapy or or something like like it does have representation in the show but there's two occasions where the psychs have broken confidentiality yeah and now that you mention um, it um bojack's therapist in the yeah so <laughs> dr chan yeah um he can break confidentiality because he's not a therapist but a therapy horse <laughs> <laughs> yeah says yeah and it, it's all in good fun but like um probably not the best representation that's probably the the thing i dislike the most actually now that you mentioned it because he ends up i can't remember if it resolves but due to bojack having vodka which looks like water he ends up getting back on the wagon so or off the wagon i should say another person whose life he destroys yeah, yeah. but also maybe not the best message of like a therapist being trustworthy and someone yeah it, it doesn't really instill any confidence <laughs> no exactly in it as a therapy i guess but like i mean yeah maybe it's just a bit of a missed opportunity yeah but, i agree especially um, i guess diane doesn't really seek much more than the medication as well yeah it's i mean it's a shame you don't get like a more holistic sort of picture of recovery but they can't do it exactly all. yeah they do they, they do a, so they do so much um they really do a, a lot and they of still good. need to entertain us so yeah yep. and i feel like they do enough they tackle yeah. the medication question so that's that's fine that's enough <laughs> anything else you thought was helpful about bojack i thought the representation was pretty good like there's just obviously a lot of the characters are animals <laughs> but um you, you get presented with such like a an interesting array of, of characters mm. and there's like queer representation mm. and uh, some disability that i remember seeing and yeah people of color yeah I, I just thought it was like an interesting sort of like diverse little world that they'd created that it was it was it's nice to see i think um being animals helps a lot to be able to be so diverse because mm. it's it's already diverse but I think that also enhances the diversity of it like they're animals and humans living together and and not one is although there and there's also that stereo line with um Ralph Stilton and Princess Caroline of mice and uh, cats not getting along <laughs> yeah. as well which sort of plays the the sort of race card a little bit in that storyline which I thought was was done well as well yeah I'm trying to remember the name of the holiday <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> Um, is there anything in it that's harmful, do you think, or that could have a harmful impact? I mean, it's a story that's based out of ho Hollywood, mm. um, <laughs> but, like, characters, for the most part, they seem to have, like, unending, like, bottomless financial resources. Yeah, yeah. Um, not everyone can spend several months at rehab. Um, yeah, like, God, that looks like a nice rehab place, too. It would have been pretty expensive. Yeah, I wouldn't leave either. But yeah, I mean, the experience of working through this sort of stuff without 
that money behind you is just like it's wildly different yeah and i'm sure a lot of the people watching couldn't relate to that like it's just it's a dream isn't it yeah 100 um, percent. but again like it's it's a story that's it's based in that world of, of entitlement so yeah yeah it's in, in a sense it was just it was kind of a, a shame that they didn't shine a light on that again they can't do it all so mm. and even a character like todd who looks like you know slacker with no money ends up having lots of opportunities <laughs> and i mean i think that's part of yeah, his but... character and the humor is that he sort of let lots of things fall into his lap but yeah. yeah i think the only time we ever really see someone struggle financially is like right at the end with bojack when he loses everything yeah but there's um after diane leaves mr peanut butter mm. and she's living in like a horrible little trashy yeah um apartment tiny and it's falling apart and but other than that yeah yeah and researching into any sort of people's thoughts on whether it's harmful that was really the only thing I I read was that sense that it, it's really it lacks a working class perspective and um, while it has really good messages around recovery and things like that it doesn't really acknowledge most people don't have the privilege of time money etc to undertake that kind of recovery which is a really good point but again I think yeah. it can't be everything all at once yeah it's, that's not the story they were telling no it's based in Hollywood so it's kind of contextual from the get-go there were definitely moments watching the show particularly the first time where I felt like I felt uncomfortable about how much sympathy I had for Boja Mm. I was like this isn't right (laughs) but yeah in the context of like the whole story it it does work it's never too soft on him no I think it you mentioned that a lot of people didn't like how it ended like he was it that he wasn't like accountable enough for what had happened not accountable enough and i think a lot of people thought that he should die die yeah i don't know it wasn't a story that anyone wanted to end either so it just any kind of ending felt weird yeah yeah (laughs) that's true i don't think if he died it would have been helpful i think it's better to see him survive and try and muddle through like i think that's a better yeah absolutely message so everyone's wrong who thinks that yeah (laughs) no but also I feel like the empathy that we get we have for him is actually like just more realistic that it's not as simple like often we can and it sometimes it's necessary to, to cut people out of our lives and see them as either good or bad but that's not really reality yeah he's never given a pass he's ultimately accountable for everything that happens mm. but we also need to see society giving him passes because that's in line with yeah, what happens he's been afforded certain privileges in life which he he takes advantage of exploits for sure whether he realizes it or not yeah and at many points he does realize Mm. and we sort of see how he deals with that which is not always very well (laughs) a a question i'm trying to ask um when we get to this part is like who is this show for like who is it made for what do you think Raphael said when he set out to make the show who do you think he was creating it for i feel like it was for sort of the prestige tv audience he was really trying to nail that sort of crossover of like the good fun of animation but i'm, I'm gonna tell a, a real story mm. make something impactful but who was it for um <laughs> that's a hard question stuff yeah it's not an easy question to answer all the time <laughs> i think like the way i see it i think it's kind of for everyone because 
he and Lisa create such rich characters that have little bits of what a lot of us have experienced. So I think from what we know about Raphael and Lisa, like they see themselves in a lot of these characters and what they've mm. gone through. And I think yeah. they're sort of almost making this for themselves, I guess. Um, yeah, maybe it really was for people that love cartoons and they wanted to, you know, create something a little bit more meaty. Yeah, yeah. But then it obviously was able to reach such a, a wider audience. Mm by the end yeah like it feels like it's for people like us who who like art and also have mental health issues <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense yeah oh it's definitely for people who like art <laughs> and that I mean that's one of the really incredible background um details of the show is like all of the um the art pieces that have been done sort of like in Lisa Hunnewalt's style like you see a lot of Keith Haring and oh yeah 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 yep. It's one of those really incredible things in the show. There's that painting behind Bojack's desk, um, which is like a David Hockney, oh, yeah, yeah. Hockney yep. painting. It's a portrait of an artist. Oh, yeah. A self-portrait or something. And, yeah, it's um, prophetic of what ends up happening to Bojack. Oh, so much detail. Um, they hide the little details like that all th- through the show. And it's the same with um, Sarah Lynn. She's got the death of Ophelia <gasps> behind her bed. Oh, my God. But it's, it's her. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many of those. Ooh, it's, it's got so, so much rewatch value. <laughs> yeah, they're so clever. Uh, one last thing I just want to comment on, which is neither here nor there, is that the underwater episode is like one of the best pieces <laughs> of media ever in the world. I just love it so much. It's fantastic. Is that your favourite? I don't know. It's too hard. There's too many favourites. But I think that's the one that... I would probably rewatch the most if I was just picking episodes. And also Casper watched it with me, so it was perfect because there was no swearing. Very kid-friendly. Yeah, very kid-friendly. He loved it. He watched the whole thing and was like, oh. That's a really good one. And I, I guess it's also a good one not relying on audio, like on a different medium as well. So it was like it was inclusive to those with who are deaf or hearing impaired, um, obviously tricky for those with visual impairment, but, you know, a good changing it up. Yeah, and they were able to do so much. Yeah, convey so much without... emotion. And then, of course, the, the punchline at the end is just amazing, but I won't spoil it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, really cute. Well, is there anything we didn't touch on that you wanted to mention? Because I think we've gotten through most of it we've gotten through most of it really there's like hollyhock and mm. the body shame and yes yes all that that's like a whole <laughs> other thing isn't it yeah and just sort of how she experiences that sort of freak out as well is very was very relatable incredible and what Beatrice's intentions were and whether she was well-intentioned and what she was trying to do mm considering she grew up in the time that she grew up in. Yes, yeah. Um, she was under so much pressure yep. to present a certain way. As well as on the flip side of her going through dementia as well and, you know, how much intent was behind that if she's not yeah, always present, I guess. Yeah. Talking about accountability, I really liked that when Hollyhock stops talking to Bojack. Yes, and sends that letter that he hangs on to for a while because he can't bear to read yes. what he thinks will be in it. We see him read that letter and his reaction, his facial reaction, and then we never see or hear from her again. Mm, mm. That was so powerful. Yeah, yeah. 
um, I really felt that. They just convey so much with so little. And I think it's a very good example. Again, just sort of driving home that your actions have consequences for Jack. And um, yeah, so his sister gets taken away from him. He loses that relationship forever. Yeah. Who knows what happens in the future, but that's a a long lasting consequence that he's going to have to come to terms with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, should we go through the final scores? Uh, to start with, uh, lived experience. I think that I want to give it a point. What are your thoughts? I think for the most part, it does seem like they're coming at it from like, you know, a real place of lived experience, even though there's some sort of gaps in there. Yeah. Um, with, um, yeah, a Vietnamese character played by a white woman. But yeah, for, it, it does pretty well. Mm. The focus is more on mental illness. They do that well. Yeah, I think apart from Alison Brie, I don't know what they could have done to improve uh, the lived experience aspect of it. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, I think we give it a point. Accuracy? Yeah, big point. I think it gets a big point, yeah. Big point. (laughs) Huge big point. Stereotypes, like I feel like it really – subverts a lot of them and shows a lot of things we haven't seen before so I want to give it a point what do you think yeah I give it a point the way that it explores stereotypes is um it's really clever it's very uh very meta as well it's very on their minds yeah and I think we can agree that it was helpful helpful yeah, yeah. I think it gets four points a lot of people watch Bojack and they they felt less alone that's a wonderful thing that they've created and it's I was Talking about this recently, I think it was in that webinar that I was doing, it doesn't have to be like super realism for a portrayal to be, uh, to really hit the mark and for it to do a really helpful job of, of showing mental illness. And this is a very fantastical show, but it really does well. Yeah, it really resonates. And there's something there for everyone. Literally everyone, whether you're an animal or a human. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Annie. It was such a delight to have you and I hope you come on again. I'm sure we could talk about many other things. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, do you want to plug anything to our listeners, social media? No. no? <laughs> thank you so much for listening to Psycho Cinematic Podcast. If you really enjoy our podcast and want more, don't forget to subscribe to our Patreon. For only just $3 a month, you get access to lots of exclusive content, bonus episodes, and of course, your opinion matters more to us than those who don't subscribe. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook, and chuck us a wholesome review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Good Pods. Do it. See you later. This podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive, or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please check the episode notes on your podcast app.